would please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We will pray and then read verses 11 through 17. Father, before your throne of your grace and your mercy, your love and your compassion, we come to worship in spirit and in truth. Father, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And may your love overwhelm us. An amazing love. How can it be? Help us, Father, to embrace this. Hear the heart of this man, Paul. And as Paul was overwhelmed, Lord, may we be overwhelmed. Father, we love you. Thank you for just the privilege of worshiping in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your precious bride, your church. Help us, Lord. Help us. In this day, in this age, to bring glory and honor to the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 11, chapter 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest to God, and I hope that we are made manifest also to your conscience. We are not again commending ourselves to you but are giving you an occasion to be proud of us so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that we, so that they might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. What we're looking at is the Apostle Paul putting a defense of his integrity. When I look at 2 Corinthians in its total, I see ministry. And one of the things that is key that seems very deceptive these days is the integrity of the minister. You know, and it's even more so for the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul didn't have the New Testament to validate what he was saying. I mean, you can take a preacher today, a minister today, a servant of the Lord today, and very quickly hold them up to the light of Scripture and say, it fits or it don't fit. All right? When you have the Apostle Paul, he was speaking on behalf of the Lord in the process of writing Scripture, and upon doing that, how do I validate it? And what would happen is the same that you see today, is that you would have the accusers would come in, And they'd come in behind the Apostle Paul, wait for him to move on to the next location. And then they would start sowing seeds of doubt into the minds of the people in the church. Once you do that, then you can start causing schisms. You can start calling divisions. All of a sudden, unity goes out the window and the body of Christ becomes fractured. And the body of Christ fractured looks just like the world. And when it looks just like the world, Satan wins. Okay, we've already looked at first Corinthians and first Corinthians, you already seen that they had a pride issue and pride will cause more division than you could ever dream of 
because you think you're right. Okay, and it doesn't matter whether you're willing to talk about it or not. You just think you're right. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. You see it today. You see it today. Why do we have denominations? Because I think I'm right. I received a letter from a young man, and he says, My denomination, and if you do it, is so perfect and so correct. If you disagree with this, there's a good possibility you're apostate. Really? Stunning. Okay, because I've read their doctrinal statements, and I said, uh, You may want to reread this. <laughs> you, you got a handful of issues in here that could cause you some problems in your perfection. All right? But that's what they do. All right, you know what? I don't claim to be perfect. I just read my Bible. Okay? And if I spend time in the Bible, hey, let's see what it says. All right? But today what you find is people will have their opinion. I am from such and such, or I am from such and such a style of teaching and or preaching or denomination. And that rolls in and you have division. Okay? It's one of the things that I hear a lot in church leadership. How can we get the church united? Okay, I hate to break the news to you. It already is. Okay, we preserve the unity and the bonds of love. And what I hear people saying, well, let's jettison doctrine so we can all get along. Perfect. All right, what are you going to do with that? And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that if it's still here today, I know that Paul had to deal with it. And what I see today is people will come and let me attack the minister, the person who would be preaching or the person who would be teaching the word of God. Let me deal with his or her integrity and then just sow a seed of doubt. That's all I have to do. And then you're not going to listen anymore. All right. This is very, very, very important because if you do not have integrity, What do you got? I was reading Linsky on this, and he says, Believability has its foundation in integrity. Unquote. That's pretty good if you think about it. All right, because why would I believe somebody? And and, and, and I, I watched this across the board and over the years. When there's the quote unquote church scandal. All right, the whole church gets wrapped up in it. So the whole world looks at the church and says, what a bunch of hypocrites. I, I mean, and it's, it's like we go stick a microphone into some of the biggest morons that I've ever. Why do I want to hear them speak? All right. And, 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 and I watch this over and over and over again. I mean, and it gets even crazier. The guy that was down in uh, Waco, Texas. Well, he's a Christian. No, he's not. That's not what Christians do. All right. But I see this and it gets this whole thing. And you can have people who have these, quote unquote, mega churches. They get caught in a scandal. All right. And all of a sudden, who's going to listen to the Christians? They look just like the lost. Listen, people, if people can't trust the minister. What's the point? What's the point? Paul understood this. 
Paul understood that when you stand on truth, the false will come. Paul understood that he needed to defend his integrity. He needed to defend his integrity for the right reason. Okay? He, he was not worried about the personal attacks, but the integrity he had to worry about. Because if they could sow that seed in, then you've got a church that was struggling with pride anyway. Now they've got this laying there and it's just going to explode. All right. The false will always want to discredit, discredit the sound teaching and they want to replace it to use Paul's words with the doctrine of demons. Okay, let me throw error in. Listen, a false teacher doesn't get up one day and say, hey, follow me. I'll take you to hell. That is not what they're going to do. They're going to have a seminary degree and they're going to know their Bible. But they will not work diligently to rightly divide truth. And they will be there and you will watch them. They will sow discourse. They will sow disunity and they will bring upon division. They always do it. And I've seen it for years and years and years. I love history. And if I go back through the church history, I see it over and over and over and over again. If we understand that this 2 Corinthians is actually the um, fourth letter, then we understand that there were some in the Corinthian church who were starting to believe the critics, starting to believe in the accusations. Listen, this is not new. And it's very common. If you go to, all the way back to the book of Judges, you will find a phrase in there that should just scare you to death. Okay? Each man was doing what was right in their own mind. Okay? You read that. You know what? It's, it's, it's one of those things. Be careful taking your own counsel. That's how I say it. All right? Because what happens is, all of a sudden I think I'm right, and I'm going to fight tooth and nail for it. And yet Paul told Timothy, if they oppose you, pray that God brings them to repentance. I have had people who oppose me on a regular basis, and they get mad and they leave. I've had some who oppose me, and all of a sudden they came back and said, you know what, you're right. All right. And that's the thing that people need to understand in this day and age. The person, the minister of integrity is going to stand his ground. I'm not going to change my doctrine unless you bring biblical reason that this is an error. You can have your opinion. That's great. Your opinion is of great value to you. Okay. I still think Kentucky's going to win it. There you go. I'm pulling for Ohio State, but I've watched Kentucky. You know, I guy got on me. He said, well, it ain't going to be them. It's going to be Michigan State. Guess you were wrong. <laughs> All right. I, you know, but I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over who wins it. It's getting interesting. I mean... This week, there was all schools from Ohio were playing. I thought, wow, man, is there any school in Ohio that's not in the tournament? Yeah, Cleveland. But anyway, <laughs> it's a long story. But that is, just, you know, I watch people and they get into these molds. And I've watched, people ask me, they said, well, do you use a study Bible? 
No. I have studied Bibles. Do you use them? No. I have seen more church splits over the footnotes in a study Bible than I've ever seen over the Bible. All right? Do you understand that the footnotes are not divinely inspired? The Bible is. Read what the text says. And I see this over and over and over again. And I I think about it. And I, I guess for lack of a better term, it's a pride problem. I worked hard at studying this and this is what I have concluded. Well, but what if it's wrong? Well, don't tell me. All right. When you have a pride issue, you are extraordinarily ripe for the picking of false teachers. They will tell you what you want to hear. You are in an extreme danger of satanic lies. Paul understood this, and he defends his integrity because of the ongoing ministry that he had. If you are a minister, and if you're saved, you should be a minister. If you're a minister, you must be trusted. And even Paul makes a statement, and we looked at it two weeks ago. He says, I want you to give an occasion to be proud of us. I want you to see my integrity and see what it was that we were doing. And I want you to be able to give an answer to those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. Okay. That's this big picture that this letter sits in. And and yet, as I, I go back through this, I, some of you know that I, I read the text daily. And, and I'm not talking 11 through 17. I'm talking 2 Corinthians. All right. And I have now for years. And, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of impressive to me because throughout this letter, I see insertions into the heart of the Apostle Paul. Who is he? Who is this man? Um, I, this is going to be kind of weird, but it's true. Um, 2 Corinthians is like the negative side of 1 Thessalonians. Okay, 1 Thessalonians, first three chapters, you're like, wow, man, what a church. Okay, 2 Corinthians is like, wow, what a church. <laughs> okay, and and you you see this here, but when I see phrases of the Apostle Paul used in 2 Corinthians, that my heart is wide open. Um, he's not being deceptive. Let me, I kind of went through this the other day just for myself, but I thought, you know what, I'll share this with the people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. Do you see that? He says, my conscience is controlled by godly sincerity and holiness. Why? That is my testimony. And you have seen it in the world, and you have seen it. 
chapter 2, verse 17. We are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity. But as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. See what he's dealing with? His integrity. I'm doing this with sincerity. Chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Remember what he said? Not on outward appearance and or based on outward appearance and not from the heart. He said, dude, I got news for you. This is from God. I got, I bring nothing to the table. And Paul says, you know what? My life is so open to you. You should have seen this. Chapter four, verse two. We have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Chapter 5, verse 9 of seeing a pattern. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to what? Be pleasing to the Lord. Whether I'm alive or dead, I want to be pleasing to God. Can you think about that for a second? That's amazing. Just in those texts that I've just given you. I can go on. Chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Giving no cause for offense in anything. So that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and affliction and in hardship. You see what he, you see that he's, he understands the attack. The attack is the accusations to discredit him. He's not a man you can trust. And he has to keep reminding them over and over and over again. Chapter 7, verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. You know what that means, right? There are people saying that he did. Chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. Taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gifts, For we have regard... For what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Chapter 10, verse 7. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in him that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself. Just that just as he is at Christ, so also we are. They're trying to say that Paul's not of God. And he says, listen, you're looking on it on the outside. The guy's got a suit. He's got a tie on. He acts like he's a pastor. He must be a pastor, right? Well, are you looking on the outside or are you looking on the inside? Chapter 11, verse 5. I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostle. He's not good enough to be an apostle. Hey, how can he be an apostle? Didn't he used to arrest Christians? That's the accusations. You can see this thing all over the place. Verse 30, same chapter. If I have to boast, I will boast 
of what pertains to my weakness. I am proud that I am frail in this place. Chapter 12, verse 11. Have I become foolish? You yourselves compelled me. Actually, I should have been commended by you. For in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostle, even though I am a nobody. Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Test yourself. See if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you failed the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. They're trying to discredit the teacher. Because if I discredit the teacher, guess what? I can discredit the teaching. A person in ministry... A servant is in the threat, always in the threat of having our service destroyed by lies, accusations, criticisms. And we in the ministry have the right to defend our integrity. Okay, again, it's not the personal stuff. All right, but it is the integrity. You know, I've had people say, well, how can you be a a pastor and have a beard? Well, if you'd have seen me with sharp things, you'd know it's a good thing. Okay, but you hear that kind of stuff. You know, I I remember wearing a sleeveless T-shirt. How can you wear that? Quite comfortably, actually. You know, especially like mid-July. But but you have these things. Well, you're wearing sandals. So did Jesus. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Listen, I'm not going to sit there and defend myself on how I dress or the fact that I ride a motorcycle. And sometimes I ride it without a helmet. Oh, my. Okay, I'm not defending any of that. You want to accuse me of that? Accuse me. I will defend my integrity. Paul was not a hypocrite. Okay, when I hear the word hypocrite, the first thing I think of is an actor. They're doing one thing. A hypocrite used to describe when they were doing acting in the writing of the New Testament, they had would have plays and you would hold up a mask, you know, have a smiley face on it, a frowny face on it, a mean face on it, whatever it was. But you don't know what the actor's doing because they're behind the mask. They could be sticking their tongue out at you. That's a hypocrite, an actor. So basically what you find in it, what I just quickly showed you that in 13 chapters, you see a defense of those who are in ministry. Why? You will be attacked. I guarantee it. If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be attacked. And what they'll do is if they can't get you for a blatant open sin, they can't get you for false doctrine, they're going to attack your integrity. Okay? You can't be trusted. All right. That's what your outline is. That's sort of a introduction. This was important to Paul. And, and we looked at it in verse 11, that he persuade men to trust him, to remember his integrity. Remember what they know, because I have an awe of God. The fear of the Lord is an awe. See, when you have that, then you are set to worship What is going on in the body of Christ right now is a tragedy. 
It is not the fear of the Lord. It is not an awe of God calling people to worship. I don't know what it is. Uh, Manipulation. It's the silliest thing I've ever seen in my life. People don't understand who God is. And once you understand and start a glimmer of His holiness, His righteousness, His perfection, His power, you will worship Him. You have no option. And everything else is like, well, that's really kind of useless. It was important. He, and, and it, to persuade men, literally to seek their favor. I want you to look on me favorably. Because of my adoration for who is God. Verse 12. He said, I also worry about the integrity of ministry because of the church. Okay. Remember, the wolves will not spare the disunity and a the division. They'll scatter it. They'll scatter it. It's, I, I watch the pastorates these days, and it kind of drives me nuts because it's, it's a three to five thing. And if the pastors don't get, quote unquote, the effect they believe they deserve, then I'll go somewhere else. Well, what are you going to do with the flock? You just scatter it? Well, someone else will fill it in. Oh, really? Truth of the matter is, somebody else will. I guarantee it. You may not be real happy about it, but they will. They will. That's the church. We're not commending ourselves. We want to give you an occasion to be proud of us. I want you to remember who I was with you. I want you to remember the integrity that I had with you. The other thing we looked at in verse 13 is truth. Why? For the truth. The integrity of ministry is for the truth. Why? He says, there are times that people accuse me of being beside myself for God. Out of my mind for God. The proverbial Bible thumper. All right. And he says, and then there's other times of sound mind, sober, mellow, patient. And that's for you. Moderate for your sake. Zealous for God. Moderate for the people. Okay, now then I want to move into verse 14. And it's like I said, I can't get through this in one setting. All right, Uh, it literally, this is a, what do they call it? A pregnant verse. (laughs) It is about to give birth to much. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. One of the motives for integrity in ministry is for the Savior. Okay, now this is, uh, this is interesting. Some of your translations may say constrains us. Um, uh, I guess I would classify this in this section as probably the single most important verse. Okay. Um, All died because of his death. And that is going to drive motivation. Okay. This is important to Paul. Very, very important. And and you'll see it here in a minute. If Christ loved him so much. He could never be put into a position where he could not offer back ministry to the one who loved him that much. 
Remember what he says? Living sacrifice is your act of spiritual worship. Okay? Now, Paul wrote that. You know what that means? He's a living sacrifice. And he was a living sacrifice. And we all have to think hard about this. He was a living sacrifice because he was in awe of who God was. And he was overwhelmed by the love of Christ. He defends his ministry. He has to defend his integrity. And he wants to continue that intact because of the fullness of he offering to Jesus Christ his act of gratitude. I watch people today and they are not grateful to God. Okay, now now look how it lays out here. For the love of Christ controls us. Okay, it is not... His love for Christ. It is Christ's love for him. Okay? Why? You know, everybody says, well, you sure that's how it is? Yeah. One died for all. All right? It wasn't I died for Christ. It was Christ died for all. Therefore, and Christ died for all. Why? Because of his amazing love. It is the love of Christ that he saw in his death that overwhelmed Paul. Okay? He's not overwhelmed by his love for Christ. I, I read a couple of guys who said that that's what this was. It ain't what this is. Because of Christ's overwhelming love, it drove Paul to gratitude because his love for me was to the point of his very death. He died for us. The love of Christ is the focus. Okay? Romans 8. You've heard it. What can separate you from the love of Christ. What can separate you? Nothing. The only thing that can separate you from the love of Christ has never been created. Oh, okay. All right. Nothing in creation can separate you from his love. Okay. So when Paul thinks about the love of Christ, he's saying this is unbreakable. Absolutely. And you know what? I've heard people say, well, it's sort of like a mother's love. No, it ain't. Ain't nothing like a mother's love. Guaranteed. Okay. Do mothers love? Sure. So do fathers. Never seen anything like it. All right. But it doesn't compare. It does not. You can't make it come close. Can't do it. Um. Let me show you Paul's thinking on this. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Okay? We've heard this verse. We like to quote it every once in a while because we're feeling extraordinarily spiritual. Okay? I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. 
but Christ lives in me. And now look what he says. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? He loved me and I know he loved me because he gave himself for me. That's amazing. Now think about it. You know, every once in a while we'll say, you know, well, I would die for such and such. Or I would. would you die for someone who hated you and was your enemy? Do you realize that's where you were when he died for you? You were his enemy. And he died for you even though he first loved us. To the point he says, I'll prove it. Put me on a cross. So he says, the life I live, I live for Christ. Why? Because he loved me so much that he died for me. And he died for me when I was an awful, vile, evil sinner separated from God. He didn't say, well, get saved and then I'll love you. He said, no, you can't love me, but I will show you what love is. Now, when you think about it, okay, it's an eternal love, that unbreakable love, but the love of Christ is, do you understand? It's voluntary. It was his will to love us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That was his love for us. And we missed that. Well, that's a good, let's all just get saved and pat each other on the back and live our lives like the devil. And I'm glad he loves me. Listen, guys, if you're married today and... You treated your wives the way some of you treat Christ, you'd be divorced. Or dead. Or divorced and dead. I've watched guys that work on their motorcycles, and I thought, if you take care of your wife the way you take care of that motorcycle, you'd still be married. I, it is easy to see what we put our affections in. Lord laid himself down. No one took him captive. No one takes my life, he said. I give it freely. So it's, it's this unbreakable love. It is a voluntary love. And it's an eternal love. It can never, ever, ever be broken. Do you think that for a second? It cannot be changed. You can't make it bigger. You can't make it smaller. It's what I call an insane love. It's that, use Paul's phrase, it's that beside yourself love. That ain't that what it is? I mean, if you think about it, a bunch of vile people who want him dead, and I love them. I don't think so. Paul knew his sinfulness. And he knew Christ did this by his own 
overwhelming passion. You think about that. Remember on the Damascus Road? Paul's out doing the work of God. Remember? I'm out serving God. These blasphemers. I'll arrest these little demon-possessed people. And Jesus shows up. Why are you persecuting me? You know what Paul's response was? My Lord. <laughs> yeah, but a good phrase. <laughs> good phrase. My Lord. You betcha. <laughs> no, no problem. In Ephesians chapter, I want us to think about this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. Okay, now this is that prayer that's uh, just amazing to me. Verse 18 says, We'll be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. (laughs) I love it when Paul uses that. You're going to know something that can't be known. What? (laughs) Surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ is beyond our knowledge. To know that which can't be known. But you'll have the ability to know it. How can you not worship? (laughs) That's awesome. It's unbreakable love. It's a supernatural love. It's a voluntary love. And it can't be known, but you who are saved can know it. it. And it's all... By the pure choice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Choose to give himself up even for Paul. Even for Paul. And you know what? Paul was overwhelmed by it. I pray that the body of Christ would be overwhelmed by that. He gave himself up voluntarily. For us. And it is an unbreakable. It is an unchangeable. It is an eternal. And it it is a a love that only those indwelt by the Spirit of God can even know it. You think about it. A mother's love. No. A father's love. No. A child's love. No. You're all related. You have to like each other. Do it to your enemies. Do it to those who despise you. Do it to those who slander you, who criticize you, who accuse you. Then you'll start getting just a glimpse of the love that Jesus Christ has for you. Overwhelming reality of God's love. Paul persuaded men of his integrity. Jesus loved him with an eternal, unbreakable, voluntary, and he gave his life on Paul's behalf. A love that surpasses understanding. He says, and back in our text, that love controls me. That love compels me. Okay? The the word control there literally means... Um, a pressure that causes action. Okay? That love of Christ puts a pressure on me for action. 
It has to do with restraining, to rule over you, to control you. Pressured by this love of Christ, out of a gratitude for that love, Paul says, I want to give back everything I have to offer. I will withhold nothing. Every piece of my life is yours. Why? Because your love, to use a, a, my illustration, freaks me out. Freaks me out. I have no comprehension of why you would. And yet, voluntarily, you did it. For the love of Christ controls me. For the love of Christ is the pressure that says, I'm abandoned unto you. That love was so great that he laid his life down for me. When I was still an enemy, still an enemy. Paul could never live for himself. There's too many in the body of Christ today who live for themselves. And when you do that, I immediately know you do not understand the love of God. Because if you understand the love of God, I know I never have to defend myself. But I'll stand on the integrity of his love for me. Paul says, it's not for his sake, for Paul's sake, but it's for the Lord's sake. Why? Because of his love. Now listen, I'm going to stop right there. Because this thing just gets getting bigger and bigger. The love of Christ controls us. Okay? Because of that love, our lives become an act of gratitude. Okay, did you get that? Our whole lives, the whole thing, is an act of gratitude based on the love that Christ had for us. Okay, therefore, it's easy, it's simple to step into a life of service. There's nothing to it. And when you're not, then you're saying that love really ain't that big a deal. An unchangeable love, a voluntary love, an unknowable love, an eternal love doesn't mean that much to you. That's amazing if you think about it. It's, it's, if you read Paul's letters, one of the things that you find... <laughs> It's full of doxologies. <laughs> and they just, poof, and there's one, and he just cruises along, and poof, there's another one, and all the rest of it. Because there's times when he's speaking on behalf of the Lord and writing it down that he understands this love that he has, and it has such a control on him, all he can do is break out into doxology. It's a heart of gratitude. That's a heart of gratitude. Heart of gratitude says, Wow. He laid his life down for me. How can I not be grateful? Just like we're saying. Amazing love. How can it be that my God would die for me? Look at Paul. Had a life of service. Why? That was his act of worship. His act of worship. It should overwhelm us. It should pressure us into an action. That our lives become acts of worship. What is that? 
service, living, sacrifice, everything I have is for the King of kings and Lord of lords, just like the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul, who is just amazing, Lord. Father, may we who are gathered here today, may we be completely overwhelmed by this love that you have for us, that you died for us even though we were yet sinners. Help us, Father. Help us in the day-to-day grind to rest in this assurance that you have overwhelmed us with your love. And Father, may that become that that controls us. The love of Christ to control us, each and every one of us, that we stand in awe of an awesome God. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for our brother Paul, for your word, your spirit, your church. May each of us be found walking worthy and faithful to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.